Welcome to Taboo Topic. I'm your host, Ken Drew, the best in the business. Today, I have a great episode with you because I brought a friend over to the show to discuss how we can heal as a nation with the polarization of race relations. Is there perhaps a better way to distinguish each other? Tune in to find out. Before we kick off the episode, I do want to remind everyone you can read future newsletters just by tapping in the URL at kenjin296.substack.com. I repeat, kenjin296.substack.com. Spell the word engine, put the letter K in front of the word engine, then you get kenjin, one word, 296.substack.com. You can also follow me on Instagram by tapping in kenjin underscore express, kenjin underscore express. You can also follow me on Parlor by typing in Kenjin Express at Kenjin Express. You can also follow me on Facebook just by typing in Taboo Topic. Look for the logo that says Honesty Equals Understanding. And in today's episode, this going to be some honesty. So hopefully you enjoy the conversation. This is a show where we did a fake out loud and question the narrative. Free speech triumphs your safe space. We'll be back for our weekly Thinking Out Loud monologue after this break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I'm your host, Ken Drew, per usual, to talk about a polarizing topic, race. Conservatives will probably look the other direction with me saying that. Why do we have to? I get it. I don't like talking about it either. Why should I have to distinguish the color of my skin? Truth is, we can't escape it. Our system stands right now. You have to take note of the color of the skin. Every job application, survey, or any documents, etc., they all have us distinguish the color of our skin. Are you white, black, African American, Asian, etc.? However, Did you ever notice in the race category, a lot of them will have in parentheses non-Hispanic origin? And for your ethnicity question, it always asks if you're of Hispanic descent. And Hispanic is the only option available. Why? Hispanics are not considered a race. The reason? The justification is to take your eyes off the color of their skin. In other words, it recognizes you can have any skin color but still be Hispanic. Kind of makes you wonder why that rule isn't applied with everyone else. Because you could be white as snow and be African. Your skin complexion can be as dark as the night sky, but your heritage can be Asian with your big bulgy eyes. It almost seems like the race question is aimed more at distinguishing what skin color you are than your actual heritage. Now, I could be dead wrong, but I wonder is this really necessary? This feeds into the far left's or Marxist obsession with people's skin color. See, I don't believe we should shy away from recognizing we have different skin colors, but there should be a conversation if we should be categorizing people as such. Why don't we have a section to determine your eye color if that's the case? Over the last decade, our nation has increasingly become divided over the issues of race. The color of our skin. In saying there's black culture, there's white, overly simplifies the meaning of the word culture to the color of the skin. Thus, I contribute this overly simplified term of culture to the divisiveness the subject has become. For the record, 
This is coming from someone who is a literal cultural mutt. I have European heritage from my dad's side. That side is English and Scottish. My mom's side is Hispanic and Hebrew. So you can only imagine how those questions threw me off when I was younger. Not as much anymore. I answer yes to the Hispanic portion, but answer white for race since they'll consider Middle Eastern white as well. But if I have the option to pick more than one race, and they separate Middle Eastern from white, then i pick both. If you saw my face, you'd see that mixed complexion. I was asked all the time growing up what was my origin. I never took offense for the recognition though. As I've gotten older, I've even stopped saying white and replaced it with European, breaking down that European origin. What's the point of all this? I think the truth lies in the middle. I think we can move past the conversation of skin color, but only until we ask these questions. What should constitute a race? What should constitute ethnicity? And it's time to reevaluate how we make these distinctions. The conversation today may not reach to a full conclusion, conclusion going forward, yet my hope is to find baby steps to move in the right direction, get some consistency in the system. Perhaps acknowledging it's okay to ce- celebrate your family's origin while at the same time your heritage isn't attached to the color of your skin. And that's your Thinking Out Loud monologue for the week. We'll be back after this short break. Back to your taboo topic. I'm your host, Kendrew, per usual. Before we go any further, I do want to remind everyone you can leave a review on the podcast no matter what platform you listen to this from, whether it's Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts, or any other website you use to listen to a podcast. By all means, leave a review. Hopefully it's a five-star, but if it's anything below a five-star, you can by all means let me know so I can better serve you. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce you to my old friend, Sarah. How are you? I'm doing great, Ken. Glad to be here. (laughs) Yeah. Have you left a review on the show before? I have not. Even as you mentioned that, it's like, huh, I'd have to just figure out how to do that. Yes. She's been actually one of the first supporters of my show, on my endeavors uh, to begin this podcast. She's one of the original. She's one of the OG, if you will. <laughs> um, what you may call it. Her and I, we go back, like I said, a few years. And... Um, before I actually let people know how we met, why don't you go ahead and let the audience know who are you and what you do and how are you doing today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, I'm Sarah. I've, um, live here in San Antonio, Texas, um, and get to work for a Christian nonprofit that seeks to empower and equip students in their faith, um, particularly on the college campus. So um, today, I think it's been a more of an educational day in terms of just needing to read and study. It's part of my training. Um, and just got started with the book of Genesis because that's part of our training. And what in the book of Genesis has stuck out to you so far? Um, yeah, it's a book about beginnings. And so you get the story of humanity um, 
that starts off kind of like in this perfect um, world and soon spirals out of control um, with violence and with uh, just family dysfunction. And what's surprising to me, though, is that the God of the Bible decides that he still wants to uh, be in relationship with these individuals, even though they either lie or steal. Um, They're just not people that you would typically want to associate with, if you would, um, because they knew the type of individual that they were. And at the same time, he wants to still carry out big plans through them. So that's pretty encouraging. Wow. Well, it's not a Sunday episode, but that was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. So just some things I'm learning. That's very interesting. Um, I guess it kind of fits into what we're about to talk about later in just a moment. Um, Which, I guess my day, if I could switch spots with you, I would. It's been a little Mm. bit frustrating in a sense that I have a lot of red tape to jump over. Um, not only with the housing situation, because I finally found a home I wanted. However, the process takes a while, and certain individuals may not work as fast as fast as I would like them to anyway. And then today is a day I officially am separated from the United States government, or military more specifically. I can say that now without having to worry about any repercussions coming out of my mouth. <laughs> that's probably something we're celebrating for you yes it is and if i could have a cake and have a self party or a party for myself i probably would throw one just for myself with party hats and the pinata whatever you know it's a (laughs) joyous occasion for me and but the red tape they're having me go through just to pick up one specific document that lets Everyone know that I did serve my time and I am a, and I have separated. There's a lot of red tape to go over that. And it's a reminder why I made the decision I made in the sense of working for the federal government is not for me. <laughs> so in the frustration, there's a silver lining of I am reminded why I chose to get out in, to begin with. So, um that's the silver lining in that. And with that said, before we go any further, I do want to let you go ahead and try and let people know how we first met. And then I'll kind of give you, give people my version before we actually get started. <laughs> yeah. Um, a friend and I were getting to say hi to some friends at the uh, college meeting that we were a part of and we saw Ken as like just a new a new face and wanted to just introduce ourselves um, and that was several years ago I think two or three years ago now so we uh, struck up a conversation but then stayed in touch throughout the years I want to say it was 2018 and it was right around this time of the year too like it's coming up at least. It's definitely been yeah. at least three yeah. years. Three years. Uh, mm-hmm. Three years. Yeah. And I'll get a little bit more specific as far as my what I got out of that first encounter with Sarah. Uh, yeah. So I was sitting 
do my own thing, mind my own business, just being quiet. Because I'm pretty quiet in social settings, believe it or not. I know uh, people would expect someone who would do something like this, like a podcast, would be more extroverted. But in reality, and Sarah can attest to this, that I'm highly introverted. <laughs> especially in, you are. Especially in newer uh, environments. And so I was quiet, just minding my own business. And then uh, a friend of hers and her came over, introduced themselves to me. And one of the first things Sarah asked me is, so how did you come to Christ? That was the first question Sarah asked me, which at that time, I'd never been to a church where they were very direct and assumed that, you know, anyone who just came to the church was Christian automatically. So I thought that was very interesting. And Sarah also tried to, after uh, the person, after the guy, you know, did his message and everything like that, he preached uh, the message of the day, which it was a college group. It was from a church, so... For the audience to understand a little bit, the church had a young adults group, but they also had a college group, and I didn't really know much about the adult group yet, or young adult group yet, so I went to the college group that night, and um, yeah, and after the guy did his message and everything like that, Sarah tried to introduce me to some people, and I don't think Sarah knew this until now, or I'm about to say now, but the fact that she was introducing me people gave me anxiety and I didn't know what to do because I never been around someone who just was that upfront like that before. So I was like, you know, I'm going to find a way out of this social situation I'm very uncomfortable in. And I made up, made up the excuse of, Oh, I got to go to work. And I, I pulled my <laughs> phone up pretending like, Oh yeah, I'm getting an emergency call from work saying I got to, you know, be there for something serious so i gotta take off and I, when i left that room that now i'm like this woman is nuts i am never gonna talk to her but three years later now you're on my show so <laughs> um we have a lot of things in common especially our faith is pretty much like the foundation of the things we have in common probably the most important one too i would say but another thing we have in common and we've talked about over the years but today is the first time we're gonna get really in depth over this particular subject is the conversation of race and ethnicity. We're both Hispanic. Um, but the whole point of this conversation, though, for the audience to understand is so we can have the conversation and also recognize that even people within our own communities have different views of ethnicity and race because what you see on the media is pretty much just one side and you don't really hear the other side so much. And so you're going to hear this conversation. You're going to hear how you know, both of our experiences have been different and both of our takes and views of the world when it comes to this subject is different, especially timely as well, considering that Hispanic Heritage Month had just begun, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. September 15th so, to October 15th. Yep. So you're more up to speed with that than I am, um, which I'll get into my personal thoughts about Hispanic Heritage Month in just a second. But with that said, um, I'll let you... Let's go over a few points I want to hit on, but what are your personal thoughts um, as far as the current relations of race as in our nation as a whole right now, do you think we're at? Uh, yeah, so I think I want to start off with that um, 
I think I'm starting to see a change in kind of generational views. Um, and so the perspective that you have from someone that's like in their 20s is obviously going to be something different than someone has in their 60s or 70s. And um, we live in that tension of um, these clashes. And so I'd find that the younger generation is a lot more affirming and welcoming of a variety of cultures and of backgrounds. However, um, they do not have the history and they do not have the stories of what the older generation has experienced um, that lends towards certain tensions and uh, because of that, I think there are there is that divide, and it is hard to come together um, on ways forward. Um, so I think that's kind of some some general thoughts there to start off with. So you think the tension is more generational than anything else? That's uh, an aspect, I think, to consider in the conversation. Um, but I also feel that it is uh, more divided, too, because people are seeking to be, um, for their identity to be based in their race or ethnicity. Um, and those are aspects of an individual. They're not the whole of the individual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we let that be our only separating, when we only allow our race or ethnicity um, or cultural views um, to be all that we are, then it doesn't leave room for areas that could be in common and that could actually be unifying that then allow for areas of differences to then um, actually have like a healthier conversation because there's common ground to work with. So let me go ahead and give you a follow-up question if you don't mind in asking, do you think race relations are heading in a better direction with the new upcoming generation, the generation right below us? Or do you think it's going to be worse? Because you have some people, including myself, that think the race relations with the new generation especially with the push for critical race theory, for example, that's being pushed down, not just in public schools, but also private uh, schools as well. Um, many think that it's going to worsen race relations in the future, and it's going to create even more tension before you know it. Our generation that grew up with the concept that um, characters should overweigh skin color, you have a new generation that's going to value or make race the primary focus as in that's the main determined uh, factor of someone's character. So do you think we're heading in the right direction or do you think, um, are you kind of following along with that more pessimistic point of view for lack of a better term? Yeah. Um, so critical race theory started um, many years ago. Um, and so, yeah. I, I do see more division, I think, coming from that. 
Um, and um, which is why I mentioned before that like our race and ethnicity can be aspects to unify, but also to divide. And so people in their view of themselves um, make ethnicity and race the highest thing or the most important thing about them, then that will continue to cause divide. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So kind of staying within that realm and everything like that. So Hispanic Heritage Month and everything like that, obviously it means different to s different people, even within our own community. So um, ladies first, I'll let you go ahead and kind of give your personal thoughts and feelings about whenever this time, you know, comes around Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, do you like it? And if so, why so? Or if not, why not? And et cetera, et cetera. So ladies first, you can go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think for me, I'm actually, um, I'm actually excited about it. Um, my, I'm Puerto Rican and of like Mexican American descent. And so, um, but I've actually gotten the opportunity to live in other Latin American countries. And so, um, the experience of what it means to be Hispanic or Latino is different outside of the U.S., obviously. Um, but at least here in the U.S., having the opportunity in order to celebrate and at the same time invite people to um, see and understand another um, culture and like people group is, is encouraging to me. Um, I do not think that that needs to be something that's forced upon other people I believe it's an invitation um and and best happens I think through friendships through relationships um and so funny enough last weekend uh September 16th was Mexican Independence Day and on the 18th was the Chilean Independence Day so uh those are just some examples of places that I've lived, countries, but also, um, yeah, two, two different cultures that share Spanish as a language and yet have different, um, different values and also, um, and, and have shared ones too, but are fall under this Hispanic heritage month. So what part um, about Hispanic Heritage Month do you really enjoy, do you think? Is there a specific tradition that your family does every year? Um, maybe uh, or just the idea of it just makes you excited? I mean, did you always have those beliefs or did it evolve over time as well? Yeah. Um, so it did depend on where I lived. Um if we would celebrate it more or less. And so, um, yeah, I think that's just true of um, a couple factors. One, um, I would say that Hispanic Heritage Month is something that's celebrated only here in the U.S. 
Um, it's not celebrated in other places because it doesn't make sense to. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And however, you were celebrating that country's Independence Day or um, whenever those like those holidays would come about like on the calendar. Um, it just so happens that a few of them land in the month of September. Personally, we don't, we will participate in anything that's happening locally. Um, this year we couldn't, but we've often in the past gone to like downtown to hear what's famously known as like the grito, which is kind of like the yell um, for independence that happens on at midnight on September the 15th for um, Mexican Independence Day on the 16th. Mm. Or we'll go to different uh, festivals uh, where they have uh, traditional foods that are made or dances, um, kind of like performances of um, as well that tell the story of of that country of that place that's interesting i mean i guess for me in particular so i kind of went over my monologue a little bit about how mixed i was as a uh, person but i didn't get too detailed with the latino aspect so for me i'm honduran but also nicaraguan as well and but for me it wasn't really emphasized growing up and as a matter of fact, at least in my family, in the house in particular, it was never really brought up as, oh, you're Hispanic. This makes you very different from everybody else. You know, it was just never brought up in the house. I, it was brought up in, you know, outside, which kind of gives it to the personal experience section. But I kind of want to briefly go over my thoughts about Hispanic Heritage Month because I feel like because of my experience, I have a much, I don't want to say I have a much different view of Hispanic Heritage Month, but it's definitely different. Um, I guess for me in particular, I find it a little bit of annoyance that they are relegating our impact in American history to one month. And I'm kind of paraphrasing, stealing some words for Morgan Freeman himself. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've seen the interview at 60 Minutes with Morgan Freeman when he's talking about. Uh, African-American History Month or Black History Month and he kind of replies with are you going to really relegate really relegate our history to one month I kind of have that same mentality of are you really going to relegate our impact in American culture to just one month uh, so I find a little bit of annoyance in that aspect and also in a sense that it almost seems like while I get the idea behind it in the sense of yes we're recognizing the importance of hispanics have made in american culture to an extent because they're relegating to that one month it's kind of almost patronizing a little bit like oh you know we'll give you guys this one month to celebrate and recognize for the whole world or for the whole country to recognize the impact you've made so you can, you know, shut up, if you will, later on. So you don't have to complain about it, which um, that's the only way I'm sure it even got started to begin with because people probably raised hell at some point. And 
eventually the White House in D.C., they decided, you know what, here you go. We'll give you an entire month, just like, you know, uh, Black History Month in particular, you know. So to an extent, uh, I do find some annoyance in that. At the same time, I will agree with you. It is cool in a sense that it is a chance for me to kind of dig in more into my Hispanic heritage in particular, just because um, it gets brought up once a year. And so I'm kind of forced to actually look more into it and kind of get in touch with that side of me because I don't really get in touch with that side a whole lot. And they, But then again, it's just a matter of, it's just not something I grew up really thinking about, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> uh, it wasn't until I got older that I really started to think about, um, you know, things like race and ethnicity in particular, which kind of goes into like personal experience uh, throughout your life, our lives, I should say, which which for me, really the only time it got brought up that I was different, if you will, from the rest of uh, my friend group was outside of the house, which I can tell you a story, even in California, which has a high Hispanic population, probably higher than Texas, I want to say. Don't hold me to that. Don't. So if you want to <laughs> fact check me, go ahead. But I said it right Maybe here. Maybe not at the moment. I, yeah. I, <laughs> as, I'm, as of right now, I'm just speculating and guessing California is a higher Hispanic population than Texas. But even in California, I remember at school, people asked me if I was Mexican. And I thought to myself, like, well, why would you ask me that question? And they've noticed, you know, my complexion, especially the color of my skin. And then when I brought up to my dad at home, uh, my dad got annoyed by that fact, actually, that people would ask me that question. And he's white as snow, which is kind of ironic. Um, but I guess it hits home differently when your kid is the one experiencing that. But I never took offense to it. This was weird. And so to an extent, um, when I tell people those things or when people, you know, make jokes about race in particular, especially Hispanics, um, I never took offense to it. And I find it weird, though, that people want to get upset for me or for us at times. And I don't know. I just have a very... I guess more neutral point of view when it comes to uh, just my experience as a whole. Cause like I said, I just never really care too much about, Oh yeah, I'm Hispanic. I recognize I'm Hispanic. I'm proud of it, but kind of like what you were making the point earlier in a sense of it's not my main identity either, you know? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So that's kind of like my own personal experience really growing up. And why I think I have the point of views I have with as far as ethnicity and race. And, you know, I, I would love to get more in touch with my Hispanic side, obviously, and everything like that. But, you know, granted the environments around me that I picked to choose to live at times, um, you know, that makes it harder. But I did live in San Antonio for six years. And San Antonio is predominantly Hispanic. And even then, uh, I had a hard time connecting with people down there, which I guess this just goes back to my personal experience and, you know, probably that cultural bias I have where it's more biased towards 
European uh, Roman Greco, if you will, than the Latina culture, if that makes any sense. I don't know. But um, what's been your experience in life? Yeah, and I think just to comment on a couple things, too. um, Yeah, one, um, culture is often the music and the food and the language that one gets to use that um, people find a shared interest in and a commonality. um, And often find as I get to meet and interact with a variety of um, yeah just individuals that have a Hispanic background um, that it's more about the values that people will like such as family such as community um, and a togetherness that people get behind more than um, perhaps like the food or the music that can be listened to um, in some ways because there's a barrier with language in terms of Spanish. Um, But that doesn't mean that that's, you know, even in your case, again, like any less Hispanic or Latino. Um, And not to point out, mm -hmm. I just want to make a quick point too for the audience to understand, like even within Latino countries, like there's different slangs of Spanish people use. Like if I speak Spanish in Mexico, it's probably not, it's not going to be the same thing if I go to like Honduras or even Spain for that matter. Like, the kind of like how in America we'll say certain words depending what part of the country you're in. Same thing with uh, Latino or Spanish countries to kind of go add to your point. So go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. No worries. Um, and so what was I going to say? Yeah. Um, I think just a book that um, I've appreciated um, in getting to read. It's called The Minority Experience. Um talks about how people of a minority background need to identify with uh, the past and so like the history um, that someone has um, come from um, but as well power is an aspect of someone's experience and pain as well um, in each of those aspects um, lend towards how um, any minority will then be able to relate in a majority culture as well. But um, yeah, I think with that, sometimes people can be confused when they might see me because um, I think I'd say I have like a caramel kind of color um, tone to my skin um and a darker brown kind of hair and so people will see oh you know latina or of a uh, background however they can assume that because of that i don't speak english um (laughs) and so i've been spoken to like in spanish right away and i overlook it now initially I could be like insulted by it. And it's like, how do you think I don't speak English? You know, and (laughs) I'm bilingual. And there's a lot of Latinos that are bilingual, bicultural, biracial. And so that just lends to the complexity. Um, I think it's fun um, to have that variety and combination um, in 
with the within the Hispanic population, and that's more true here in the U.S. than you'll probably have in other Latin American countries. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, in and then in other ways, because I am bilingual, uh, it allows for me to be able to jump back and forth in both settings, um, feeling comfortable um, in a majority culture or Anglo setting or in a Latino um, context as well. Um, that doesn't mean that it isn't without, you know, a struggle or a challenge um, either. This has been over years that I've become comfortable and confident um, for lack of like a better phrase in my own skin in both yeah. of those uh, yeah, contexts. So um yeah, because in either there is an aspect of not being fully accepted or um, or rejected because um, being able to identify with both cultures um, means that maybe not all of oneself can be presented in a certain like social context, um, which is lends kind of to my previous point, which is okay our identity doesn't, and our ethnic identity or racial identity doesn't need to be the only thing that connects us to people. And it shouldn't be the only, like, it shouldn't be the only dividing factor. Mm. Yeah, I would also include to that last point, it shouldn't be the primary factor either. Um, I think there, I believe, again, in the whole, in Martin Luther King's words, that the content of your character should outweigh the color of your skin. So if we happen to you know, enjoy football, for example, then that should be the first thing that connects us first. And then our heritage, if you will, um, or even just our faiths, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for you and I in particular, like our faiths, uh, that outweighs our bond over our ethnicity or cultural background. Um, I will say, <laughs> to kind of give you a quick story, when I first moved into the town I'm living at right now, when I was younger, and I consider this town to be my home and everything like that. But this town, I want my audience to understand, it's 99% white. So I stick out like a sore thumb. And I am, at this point in my life, super tan. So you could definitely tell I'm Hispanic. And I remember, I think I was in seventh grade. And a couple of kids from the neighborhood like knocked on my door and wanted me to hang out with them. And kind of like, you know, when you're younger, you know, once the neighborhood kids knock on your door, your door, then you go to some other kid's house and knock on their door, see if they want to hang out, you know. And uh, this home that we went to had like, it was a stereotypical redneck home, the garage door open, playing country music, blasting it for the whole street to hear, had a Confederate flag in the background as well. And, you know, they were nice people to me, right? But the first thing one of the girls asked me from that house when she walked out was, are you some kind of Mexican or something? <laughs> like those are the first things that came out of her mouth at the time. And, you know, again, to me at that time, and even now, like, I don't take offense to it. Uh, growing up, I got asked the question, if I was bilingual, they never assumed I'd learn, knew how to speak Spanish. They just asked if I, but they assumed in a sense of, they, they suspected at least that I may be bilingual. And they asked me that. And, at that time in my life, I was definitely bilingual. Not so much now because, 
All right. It's true when they say if you don't use it, you lose it. And so <laughs> if you uh, try to speak to me in Spanish now, I'm probably going to have to ask you to slow your words down so I can keep up with what you're saying because I've become Americanized in that regard. Um, but I could guarantee you, if you put me in a Spanish-speaking country for a month, I probably would pick up right back up really quickly um, because I still recognize words. I still uh, understand, you know, the majority of their meanings. It's just I don't I'm not being forced to actually think about it. Um, with that said, um, this kind of goes into my next point a little bit too, kind of go with, tie into our experiences, um, the documentation aspect of things, right? Whenever yeah. it's a job application, school, whatever it is, a survey that asks you that question of, you know, what race you are, what ethnicity you are. I briefly went over my in my monologue that I would, for ethnicity, I would always put down Hispanic, but for race, I put down white because technically I'm both. And um, I didn't really think about it too much at the time, but, you know, it does make me wonder, um, how did you answer those questions a little bit. So how did you answer those questions? Because for me, well, as I've gotten older, I got more comfortable answering those questions. But when I was younger, I was really confused on how to answer them. And that, you know, those were the questions I got, uh, I would bring up at home as far as, you know, how should I answer these questions? I don't know. Because again, it was not something they focused on in the house. And looking back on now, I'm thankful they made it that way because I don't want people to look at me and be the first thing they think about is my ethnicity or race. I just want them to actually get to know who I am as a result. And, you know, let me be me, let Kendrew be Kendrew, you know, but how did you answer those questions when you're growing up or even now even? Yeah. Um, Was it pretty easy for you? No, not at all. Um, I would say, um, in some sense, there's, yeah, growing up, the bigger question, it's like, okay, where am I from? Like, one, we're seeking to know, like, our identity um, and, and our, like, our origins. And so I think those are valid and good questions to have. Um, and I think we continue to explore that. Um, as we get older, um, and, you know, they're like on a test or something like that for a minute, just kind of get tripped and it's like, uh, which one do I answer? <laughs> but, um, now I think I'll, I put white and I put, um, for race and then put Hispanic under ethnicity, um, because race has to do with the combination gender of um physical uh attributes and so that's skin color hair type eye color um and ethnicity relates more so on a cultural level um and so, so understanding th that now i think just allows me to then be able to answer the the question you know for the sake of it if you would but there I'm not going to get tripped up as much as like what does everyday life look like um in light of those aspects 
Well, I think it's interesting you touch on a point that um, we're going to go over in just a second, because I want to debate a little bit about the flaws of the American system, because I think you and I can agree there's flaws within our own system and how we view race and ethnicity. And I'll go ahead and let you start off in that regard as far as what do you think is one of the key flaws that you see in the current American system in a sense of how they ask those questions in particular. And do you think they hit the nail on the head as far as distinguishing what the difference between race and ethnicity? If so, why so? If not, why not? Um, yeah, I, um, Yeah, I see part of it comes from like needing to take a census of the general population of who is in the country. Um, And I know that that information can be used well to help people, but it's also been misused. Um, And um, Yeah, our ethnicity typically relates to, like, our country of origin or, like, regional cultural heritage. Um, And give me a second because my thought just escaped me. Um, It's okay. Yeah. The – it makes sense sometimes in needing to distinguish that someone has come from a different regional um, or like country of origin, um, but it shouldn't be used against them um, is where I think I have more of a, more of a hang up. Um, so affirmative action then? Um, that kind of started, I think, more for African-Americans compared to Latinos. And obviously I'm coming with the view of like a a Hispanic perspective because I couldn't speak to that as much. Yeah, so so to kind of give you a quick context, um, it covers pretty much anyone minority community, Mm -hmm. even versus Mm -hmm. male versus female, even like if I went up against you, for example, right, we had the same resume verbatim uh you would get pick over me because you're female in particular versus now if i went up against another male and he happened to be a white you know white blue eye blonde hair individual i would get picked over him because you know i have that hispanic heritage and they want to have that minority if you will to kind of add to the diversity of whatever it is they're trying to uh get in their institution in particular um, so this is to kind of give you background of affirmative action as far as where it's at now anyway. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Did you have any more thoughts? Yeah. No, okay. I think for me, me personally, it would be you, um, Diversity isn't, um, it's a means, not an end. 
Um, and so that's where I, I can have some pushback. Um, and so, yeah, whatever individual that you are having, um, for example, in your application process, they also need to qualify for that role, not just because they are of a certain background means that they are going to fulfill the role that's needed. However, it is true that individuals of a certain background are going to bring a perspective. And if you're, the leadership is desiring that perspective um, and that individual has the qualities for that um, with their like ethnic or racial background, um, and it's going to be affirmed and welcomed, then yes, bring on that individual. Um, and so I think using your particular example um, to answer some of that. Yeah, so I guess for me in particular, um, I don't think they quite get the difference between race and ethnicity, or at least my point of view. And you can criticize, it's probably an overly simplified version of what the difference between ethnicity and race is. But I kind of, I agree with you in the sense it's more, you know, race is more about like what's on the outside versus ethnicity. It's cultural kind of deal. But, you know, but one of the reasons why Hispanic in particular, right, it's considered, it's not considered a race and ethnicity is because of that, you know, factor, you know, you can be from Spain and many Spaniards, they're not you know, caramel and skin color, they're more white in skin color. <laughs> and that's kind of the whole purpose of why they're considered an ethnicity. Now, with that said, in my head, I think, well, if that's the reason why Hispanic is considered an ethnicity, then why don't we apply that to everyone else then? For example, African American, you can be African and be white. And I know mm. you can be white because there's a, um, there's a story, for example, back in 2010, were two Nigerian parents where uh, they were both black, but they produced a white baby. And that, and this is not a scenario of, you know, the mother may have gotten the wrong father or anything like that. Um, even if it was the wrong father, the kid would have not turned out to be a white, uh, blue-eyed, blonde-haired baby. But that's how it turned out. So, um, so my question in my head when I hear the explanation of why Hispanic is considered ethnicity, not a race, my question in my head then goes, like I said, like, why isn't African, why isn't that rule applied for Africans or Europeans? Um, like, why does that not apply? And again, you could criticize and say, my point of view is probably a little bit overly simplified, mm. but it does, but it does make, but I think it does make a valid, uh, it at least provokes thought, I would think, and maybe give everyone a chance to maybe reevaluate how we view race and ethnicity. Um, because if that's the case, as far as if we're that special to, you know, we're the only ones to be considered ethnicity, then this should be applied to everyone else. Um, mm. Which, at that point, you know, then <laughs> then it gets into another debate as far as well, how do we determine ethnicity? Because American. Um, if you go to another part of the world and from America, there's a distinct culture that we come that we come with, you know. And so are you gonna um, are you gonna call us uh, white American? I don't know. 
or even just American, I don't know, just American-American, like, there's really nothing in our culture right now in our country that really, uh, at least in our system, that says American is its own ethnicity if we're going to go off of your definition of it's based on culture, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, you can make the argument that you don't have that uh, conversation here in our country right now. Um, I don't know. What are your initial thoughts when I give those thoughts out? Do, um, am I onto something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think kind of see that you're pointing out the fact that like why not include others um as part of this why not make more uh distinctions with regards to where people's ethnic background is from and so because it could be said of majority culture or of like caucasians or people of like a white skin tone they can come from many different countries and so um because of so many well and because it's so many at least particularly here in the u.s because there's so many generations removed um from that country of origin a new culture has been created kind of alluding to your final point of like why isn't there just american on there and that would then technically be white American too um, or what has become the values that we have here um, in yeah in in the current like culture as well um, yeah I sometimes I have wondered about it if it's because Hispanics are one of the larger populations. Um, Yeah. I can't say yet if it's like fair or unfair um, or not um, on that aspect. As immigration continues, um, I think that's an important aspect to like, um that's linked i think with latinos and that's linked with anyone that's coming here um to the us as like that demographic um, begins to change we'll have to see how the rest of the country begins to change and if it's necessary to begin to put other like people groups on there under ethnicity um and if it's worth distinguishing as well um because most um not everyone knows their especially if someone's lived here in the u.s knows their ethnic background or knows like their country of origin um whereas latinos do um more often than not um they do know so and then those are some thoughts i would push back a little on that last point because even people of Caucasian skin color, they'll tell you their own background. It's just, uh, you just don't hear them ta- say in the same sense that we do as far as, you know, well, I'm Scottish American or I'm English American. Uh, yeah. Like, they also know their background, too. Um, it's just, for some reason, our system just designed and considered Hispanic to be the only ones worthy to be called an ethnicity. Um 
but that kind of you do bring up a point that kind of brings into one of my last uh, points I want to ask is this distinction or categorization necessary from your point of view? Um, and do you think, does it create more animosity subconsciously? Yeah. I would say... It can Sarah, you broke up. Sarah. I still hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. <laughs> Sorry okay, about that, ladies, cool. ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about Go that, ahead. folks. Um, yeah. So um there's a place where some of this categorization can be helpful uh, at the same time information like just having data to know that for example san antonio is 60 percent hispanic great that's a fact what we do with that information then is where there's significance where there's impact um if that then means you know there are more teachers that are sent, for example, in school systems that come from an Hispanic heritage um, to then be able to empower Latinos. Uh, or so that there's programs that are here that are designed to incorporate Spanish speakers because of immigration, uh, then that can be helpful. Or so that more resources or financing can be allocated to certain counties or certain cities uh i feel like that would be um maybe at a at a civic level um significant or necessary in order to if it's being used to help um on a social level if we continue to just see people we need to see people for their skin color and for what they have because of the values that they're going to bring but also seek to understand and know the person and not just assume um that because they have a certain skin color that they're also going to um ascribe to certain values as well um for us to assume would be would be ignorant mm-hmm I don't know. I would say and go the other direction. Mm -hmm. I would say it's not necessary. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't really because you brought up a point as far as you know having that fact that data for example San Antonio sixty two percent you said Hispanic right? It's about sixty percent. Yeah. Sixty percent. Okay, so sixty percent Hispanic, and this kind of gets into a little bit as far as what one of the main criticisms of Joe Biden's administration with these subsidies as far as they're specifically going out of the way to make sure these subsidies for farmers, for example, is to minority communities, more particular black communities. And to me, that's racist, <laughs> super mm -hmm. racist. Mm -hmm. And, and so I kind of think I'm not calling you racist, obviously, but I right, think right. that that point of view is very racist. And cause then you get, and I think that just creates animosity because then, you have, you know, other groups that are like, well, wait a minute, how come we don't get that treatment? How come they get to be so special and we don't get 
that treatment, shouldn't we also get the same thing? So I think when it comes to, at least on a government and civic, especially, um, I think the government has no business in categorizing people whatsoever. I would say, I think the only thing I would probably agree with you, though, is I think it is more just more or less for fun fact, as far as, you know, knowing, yeah, his, San Antonio is 60% Hispanic, you know, but that's about it. Um, I think identity politics, people have abused that. Mm. And as a result, it has created um, one of the reasons why we have this tension in our nation right now when it comes to uh, racial and ethnicity conversations um, because our government is basically placating everyone and trying to divide people based on that. And even at some universities, for example, I'm sure you've heard this at some point, but there's been some universities that have started uh, segregated ceremonies based on race. And I kid you not, like they had six different graduation ceremonies for one university in particular, and they divided people based on race and ethnic class. And I just think this creates a lot of chaos and it goes out of your way to let people know saying we know you are different and it's pretty much reinventing segregation more or less it's just we're just calling it by a different name now um Mm. so that's just my perspective from a civic point of view and i guess kind of go back what i was saying earlier from a societal point of view as far as just individuality um listen i don't think i think you and i could agree there's nothing wrong with recognizing your heritage and that by itself is a good thing and it should not be a taboo subject to even recognize that I have, you and I have olive skin and more of a tanner skin tone than someone like my best friend, for example, who's white as snow. Like, that's okay, I think. I don't think there's any problem with that. It, it should be no more controversial than talking about our eye colors, I think. However, when it, we make that the focal point and determining someone's character, I think that's when we run into problems. And I don't even think it should even be a factor in determining someone's character. We can, again, we can use the understanding of someone's ethnic background to kind of understand, like, okay, so this is probably like how they grew up, right? For example, like if I go into an Asian, if I go to an Asian household, a lot of them, they grew up with family like living in the same house. Like, those are stuff like you're not going to see from a more European, European Caucasian family, for example, right? Or even Hispanic family. But in a Hispanic family, if you've got a birthday party, I mean, expect the whole family to be there, you know? And I think that's okay to make those distinctions in that sense um, to kind of understand so we have, you know, we can better communicate and we can get along better. But as far as making that as a determining factor of uh, – you know, someone's character or a factor, I would push back on that thought personally. But um, with that said, it's, is there a better way, do you think, how our country should or can talk about these subjects in particular? And if so, how, what would you recommend for the audience as a baby step, if you will? Yeah, um, I think a few a few thoughts would be um, 
first, I think it starts with each and every individual getting to know um, some of their past, their their own um, ethnic background, um, and knowing, like how I mentioned before, power, past, and pain that it comes with that. Um, and I personally believe that we've all been uniquely made by God. And so um, we're going to bring something different to the table um, as individuals. And there needs to be um, a knowledge of that in uh, for oneself. But with that knowledge, it's for the purpose of serving others, not exalting oneself. Um, and so when we come into settings where I think there needs to be a place for acknowledging people's background, but it's not the only thing that's, um, it is a piece of the conversation. It's not, um, the only thing that's going to help, um, improve or make a difference in people's lives. Um, and yet you need to have both and it's, uh, it's tempting to put, um, the category two categories of like we're only going to talk about you know ethnicity or like culture or race and um and people's skin tone and skin color or we're not going to acknowledge it at all um and you need both and um because it's not all about our skin tone and race and yet at the same time it has a heavy impact so uh as organizations um starting with the individual to then on an organizational level, um, how are we getting a diversity of perspectives um, to contribute to the impact that that organization can have to a variety of individuals? Um, That's kind of my take on there. I would say there's points. I think I would agree with you. Um, but I would just kind of, again, this is just me being simplistic in my thoughts. You can argue. But it's just just start off with asking what their name is. I think that's mm-hmm. a nice start. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't have to make that uh, the first thing you think about when you meet someone. Especially what you said as far as organizations and everything like that. I think before those organizations, institutions, if you that are looking for that diversity of thought that you're looking for, that can come with having a different uh, cultural background, at least hear their perspectives first and then ask them, well, why do you think this way? What's your background? I think mm-hmm. that's a good way and healthy way to go about it without actually asking the question of, you know, making the ethnicity or race being one of the first questions you ask, because I think it does a disservice to everyone else who may not be that particular race or ethnicity, because who knows, maybe someone who is whiter in skin tone, right? Has a European heritage, for example. Um, maybe they got adopted into a Hispanic family, right? You don't know, but if they got adopted to a Hispanic family, chances are they probably have views that are more traditionally, culturally Hispanic, for example, right? So you don't know, uh, don't, judge, judge, don't judge a book by its cover. You don't know what their background is until you actually ask them, but make that a secondary thing, not a primary thing from my perspective anyway. Um, but it's okay to acknowledge that 
people do have different skin tones. I think there's nothing wrong with that. And even within each own community, like people have different ways of doing things. Like I said a moment ago, like if you go to an Asian household, uh, it's not uncommon to have families that live in the same house or Hispanic families. It's not uncommon, you know, for the whole entire family to show up for graduation party, you know? So (laughs) um, I'm sure you can relate, but which it's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that. And it's not, uh, it shouldn't be controversial at all in that sense. Um, what I think, like I said, becomes controversial is when you make that the primary focus and the first thing you talk about. And if you want that diversity of thought, at least let the person speak, ask the questions you need to ask as far as what you want from your institution when it comes to that level. And then, you know, if you want to just kind of know more as far as where they come from, the kind of background they have, because like I said a moment ago, if that company is looking for that Hispanic, more culturally Hispanic point of view, for example, someone who grew up in a Hispanic home who may be Caucasian in skin color may have a better, maybe a better fit for that company or whatever it is they're going for than actual individual who's Hispanic himself. I mean, I'll be frank with you. That white individual that got adopted by a Hispanic family would probably be a better fit than me. And I'm Hispanic, you know. And it kind of, and it kind of goes into the point I made earlier, in a sense of. Ladies and gentlemen, we lost connection briefly, so if you hear a little abrupt change of segment, that's the reason why we had a little short um, failure of connection. So, with that said, here's the rest of the interview. Welcome back, everyone. Sorry for that little interruption. Sarah, what happened? Looks like the Wi-Fi decided to disconnect. You know, right. first world problems. But... First world problems. But what's the last thing you heard from me? heard me say? I think you're about to cut off. Oh, yeah. I was agreeing to what you were saying about, um, yeah, just your examples in terms of, like, qualifications of an individual when you're asking them for their perspective just even starting a first conversation of getting to know them rather than uh, expecting to have their uh, their view on diversity or their contribution uh, yeah. added yeah so I agree yeah so I think that's common ground that you and I could finish off of mm-hmm. um, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we close out and go on break which stay tuned folks i'll be back but for sarah this is it do you have any final thoughts you want to share um i think the final thing would be one uh on a practical note for people of an ethnic minority to continue and of every any any individual to continue to explore this um but um to not put pressure on oneself to have all the answers for an entire people group, but also recognize that you have a contribution um, with that heritage as you've got to learn about it and you learn what you could actually do to make an impact. And, um, and on, on the reverse side of any leadership to not put that pressure on your uh on your team or on your leaders um, to have all the answers because they are an individual with uh, a limited experience. And yet at the same time, there's a lot to be learned from each and every person. 
So kind of that balance there. Not bad. And I'll just say, as let people be individuals, let Sarah be Sarah and let Ken be Ken. <laughs> um, with that said, thank you so much for joining Sarah. Hope you have a great day and uh, yeah, great conversation. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, Ken. Bye, no everyone. All right. Bye. Welcome back to Taboo Topic. I'm your host, Ken Drew, per usual. Thank you so much for tuning in today's episode. I want to thank Sarah again for participating in this fruitful conversation. I think she did a better job of elo- eloquently uh, talking about her perspective than I did. With that said, it's not very hard for people to outsmart me. But anyways, um, thank you again for tuning in today, and I hope you got something out of it. And with that said, ladies and gentlemen, until Friday, you have a great, blessed Wednesday. Thank you.